0: Okay, well, look, I'd just like to welcome you, particularly if you're a visitor to, to Hope Church this morning, uh, just to let you know that <clears throat> we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. That's been our preaching series, as you can see from the slide up there, and uh, today we're going to read another passage from Luke, and we're going to study it, and the passage that I have this week is Luke 4, 16 to 30, and uh, uh, I know I normally like to get you to read from your Bibles, don't I, but, but today special dispensation. Look at that. It's gone up there. Sorry? It's a treat. It's a treat. It won't happen every week, but there it is. Okay, so let's read this together then. And this is talking about Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Magnificent. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And they said, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said truly I say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away." Well, I don't know about you, but initially, that is quite a baffling passage of Scripture. Do you think? I mean, I don't know whether you've ever delivered a presentation that started well and finished that badly. (laughs) Yes, we really like you, but now I want to kill you. Uh, you know, it's bizarre, really, isn't it? So, you know, Jesus goes to his hometown. He's got a bit of a reputation as a star preacher. And, he, and he's demonstrating amazing wisdom. And uh, he's been healing people as well. Uh, and he arrives home, goes to the Sabbath, uh, on the Sabbath, goes to the synagogue, handy the scripture, reads out Isaiah 61. And uh, he speaks about it. They're all impressed. In fact, they marvel at him. It's a good start. I would be encouraged in that situation. Ah, they're marvelling at his words. Brilliant. Then something goes very, very wrong or appears to. Suddenly they remember this. They remember he grew up among them. And of course they say, well, hang on. This is Joseph's lad. This is Joseph's boy, so they think. Nothing special. He's just one of us. And we help raise him. And then Jesus talks about Elijah and Elisha. And Israel in those days. And then the people of Nazareth are incensed. And they actually want to murder him. They want to murder him. Corporate murder is what they now want to do. <clears throat> but then it says this last line, very intriguing. But passing through their midst, he went away. Uh, you know, How did he do that? How do you escape a, a, a baying mob of people who want to kill you? Oh, I'm just going to pass through you and I'm going to go. There's a lot in that passage, I think you will agree. I think we need to get under the skin of this, because there's a lot going on here that isn't immediately obvious. Well, to me, anyway, it wasn't immediately obvious. Um, And uh, I just think we just need to try and take a deeper look at this. But I thought it would be helpful to start by having a look at Nazareth. This is modern-day Nazareth, or relatively modern-day Nazareth, town of about 60,000 now. Uh, But the archaeologists would say, in the days of Jesus, Nazareth was probably about 150 people. So by today's standards, a village, really. And um, uh, those that... I've been doing some research into Nazareth, and uh, there are those that say, well, actually, it was founded in around about 100 years before the birth of Christ, 100 BC. And uh, the reason it was founded... Was because uh, there was a small group of people who had just come back from the exile. Now, if you remember, there were a group, um, a whole bunch of uh, people from Israel were taken into captivity and were sent to, and then in 538 BC, the king of Syria, sorry, King Sirius of Persia, allowed the Jews to go back to uh, Israel, and they rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls. you remember that and all the kind of scriptures we have around that? Well, not everybody came back. So there was a slow drift of people back from Babylon to Israel over the next four to 500 years. And it seems that there was a small group of people from the tribe of Judah that returned just a little bit before 100 BC. Yeah, wow. Now, the problem with this was that because they came from the tribe of Judah, was that they were directly related to King David. And by this time, Israel was being governed by a different king. It was the dynasty of the Hasmoneans. And they were about to be literally knocked off their perch by Herod the Great. Nothing great about Herod, to be honest, but uh, that's what he was called. And both of these kingdoms had really dodgy lineage. So neither of them could claim really to be the king, but they were the king. So if you are a group of returning uh, people who have direct lineage to King David, you are a political threat. So very sensibly then, it's it's thought, they did not go back to their original homeland, they didn't go back to the south, which is where the, the old kingdom of Judah, was. That was where they had the land that they were given. The, 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 the region of Judea, which is in the south of Israel. They didn't go there. They went north. So they went up to Galilee. And really what they're doing by doing that is saying, we're not a threat to you, O oh king. We're going to go north. So we're not going to exert a claim on the kingdom. Yeah? yeah? That's what thought is going on here. And so they turn up and they found this place called Nazareth, and they, that's what they do. So by uh, the time of Jesus, we say we have about 150 people in it. Now, one of the other questions you might ask when we start talking about Nazareth is you might say, well, what about Nathaniel's comment? Do you remember Nathaniel? What did Nathaniel say about Nazareth? Yeah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, and the honest truth is we don't know why he said that because it wasn't a morally suspect place any more than anywhere else. It could be that it was a political comment. It could be that it was a political comment because they were, the people of, uh, of Nazareth were very pro the idea of kings because they come from a king. And you go to Nazareth and you go to Galilee, up in the north, they're a rebellious lot and they hate the king. Do you see what I mean? So you've got an enclave of people who think very differently from a lot of other people in Galilee. I don't know if any of that helps but it should be good background for you and I trust it will be good background. Okay so so there you've got there's, there's Nazareth. So let's look go back to the scripture then here. Let's try and work out what is going on with these comments. So Jesus goes to his hometown. Goes to the synagogue On the Sabbath, nothing unusual with that. He reads this passage, the Bible tells us. He reads this passage from Isaiah 61. And it seems to have a huge impact on everyone. Because it says, and you can see from there, it says, The eyes of all were fixed on him. So the scripture has been read. And suddenly there's an atmosphere in the synagogue. Everyone thinks, hang on a minute, this means something. What's coming? Jesus has read something. And then Jesus says this, right, at the bottom line of this scripture up there. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is the turning point. It was all going great until Jesus said that. So, what is Jesus doing in this passage of scripture? Well, he's doing two things, I would suggest. He is explaining his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Magnificent. We're going to go through this a little bit later on. Magnificent. The mission of God. Actually, Hope Church, that's our mission. That's our mission today. And um, can everyone just say the word Luke? I just want to make sure you're all there. Okay, good. (laughs) Good. Uh, Okay, so he's explaining his mission. But actually, Jesus is going further than that. He's going much further than that. He's referring himself to himself in this as an anointed one. He's referring himself to as a prophet. That's very messianic language They start suddenly starting to use. So he is in effect telling them, I am the Messiah. He's not saying it directly, but he is implying it. I am the Messiah. I have come and I am doing the things that the Messiah should do. Now, this has a whole bunch of implications. One of them, of course, is... That's very sensitive. Somebody from their number would stand up and say, I am the true king of Israel. No, 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 no. We've just spent the last hundred years trying to keep the current king happy. Jesus, don't you be saying that. That will get us all into trouble. So, not popular language. But, uh, first of all... They are very impressed by him, aren't they? Because it says they're very impressed, they marvel at his oratory, his teaching, and and but it just takes a bit of time. I think Jesus is talking to them, and you know sometimes it takes a wee time for the you suddenly think, hang on a minute, I think I know what he means. And it's suddenly gone down. I'm suddenly not impressed with this guy anymore. In fact, I'm really worried about this guy now. And uh, they, they kind of said, well, look, he can't be the Messiah. Because we helped raise him. We helped change his nappies. Do you remember that day when we couldn't find him? And we found him in, in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, it caused us all a lot of worry that did. We remember that kid. He's one of us. And it's at this point they are saying, we don't believe you. We reject you. You are not the Messiah. You are not God. That's what this community has just said to God. That's not good, obviously, just if you're looking for a... And that's not good, okay. So presumably then, they think, okay, if this guy is not God, but he's making these claims, then he is very conceited. He's conceited. He's got too big for his boots. Probably the fame has gone to his head. And also, he's potentially very dangerous for us, politically. So, what they've done here is they've made assumptions about Jesus. They've made assumptions about who he is. Without knowing who he is, they've made assumptions. They've said, oh, he is Joseph's son. When actually, he's the son of God. They've got their facts wrong, but they're very convinced that they're right. Do you know that's exactly what people do today? Isn't it? They make assumptions about God. There can't be a God, because the BBC has told me there isn't one. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, that wasn't in my script, and that's throwing me a little... Yeah, it's based on assumptions. People say, well, it's interesting. Uh, when I know Ian, when Ian has chatted to one or two people who've said, oh, I'm an atheist, and then he's talked to them. Maybe we've had this conversation. And they've actually said, well, I've never really looked into it. You think, well, how can you say you're this without actually looking into it? That's like most people today. They make an assumption that there can't be a God without actually looking into it. I would suggest to you it is the biggest single question that all of us At some point in our lives, and I know many of you have already, we'll have to face. And it's the question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? Is he a man or is he God? And that's the question that has just been faced at Nazareth. Is he who he says he is? And really there are only two answers to that. Yes or no. You're either in, I believe, Or you are out. No, I don't believe. Which one are you? Actually, when we were studying a little bit earlier on in Luke, we saw how the Bible so regularly only gives these two options. It only gives a yes or no. And Do you remember when we were looking at um, uh, John the Baptist? Do you remember that? We looked at that, and he said, you're either wheat or you're chaff. Which pile are you in? Then we saw at the end of Revelation that the Bible then divides the whole of humanity into two groups, into the sheep, the believers, and the goats, the unbelievers. Again, it's offering this two deal, the in or the out, the yes or the no pile. And actually, all the way through the New Testament, the Bible refers to people either in Adam, are your, your sins are forgiven, or you are in Christ. Where, sorry, where your sins are not forgiven or where they are forgiven. You're, you're in one or the other where do you stand? Are you in? Or are you out? You see, you can't be anywhere else. You can't be anywhere else. Lots of people have said, well, well I'm an agnostic. I'm sort of the, the gray area in the middle. I'm not against, but I'm not in. Let's be very clear. The Bible gives you two options, not three. So if you are saying I'm an agnostic, biblically, what that means is you're currently out, not in. That's what it means to be agnostic. I think most agnostics sort of feel, well, because I'm sort of favorable-ish towards God. That will get me all right. No, it won't. No, there are two options. Now, I think it's only fair to explain to you But that's the deal, the biblical deal, the two-option deal. and uh, Because that's exactly, I think, what Jesus has just done to the people at Nazareth. He has loved that town by helping them understand where they currently stand before God. He's not permitting them the luxury of thinking that they're okay when actually they're not. You see, I think these people, they're descended from Judah. Thank you very much. That makes us in the line of David. We are great people. These are synagogue-going people. Nice, respectable types. They listen to the scriptures being read every week. Lovely. They're a lovely community of people. Wonderful. And, I think they'll probably say to themselves, look, we've produced a religious superstar. Comes from us. Hey, that shows you how great we are. Jesus has just come along... And rip the lid off that argument. Really, just rip the lid off it. He's absolutely explaining, no, your true state. I know what your true thoughts are and your attitudes. And actually, the truth is, you are chronic unbelievers. You think you're great because you're related to. But actually, the truth is, you don't believe. You've rejected God. Do you see what he's done? Just rip the lid off this He's dismantled their false view. This reminded me of the X Factor. When I was um, uh, doing this, you know that program, the X Factor, with the... Oh, you weren't expecting that, were you? No. <laughs> to be fair, when I was studying, I wasn't expecting this either. But uh, I was watching. Uh, not, I'm not. I'm not a big X Factor watcher. Do you know what the X Factor is? Some of you have no idea, have you? Okay. The X Factor is a program on TV where if you want to uh, sing and you want a kind of record deal, I guess, you go along with that and thousands of people go and there are three or four people on the judging panel and you get up there and you do your stuff and they all judge you, you know, deux points, nil point, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> Push off, you're useless, or yes, go through to the next round. And I can remember one watching one of these programs, and uh, this teenage girl came on stage, and she, you know, came on, you know, did her thing, <laughs> there, and she said, I'm, I'm a fantastic singer, I am. So uh, they all said, okay, well, that's great, you know, in your own time, off you go, and she sang, and she was appalling, I and mean, it was so flat, it was just oh, you, and you could see all the judges wincing slightly, oh, oh, eventually they said, no, 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 stop now, and she's kind of completely confused. Why, why, why would you stop me? I'm, just, I'm brilliant. And they said, no, no, please don't. She said, I could sing something else. No, no, please don't. Please don't. Please don't sing anything else. And then they just said, I'm sorry, but the truth is, you're terrible. And the look of utter crestfallen disbelief. I mean, She starts to weep and cry and fall about the place. And then she runs off. And then dad comes back, all sort of belly and tattoos. you know, on. <laughs> Don't you say my daughter's no good. And then mum comes on and she's weeping. You know, oh, dear. It's all everywhere. Makeup's gone. Yo, what do you know? You're just experts. You haven't got a clue what's going on. And, uh, and then half the village comes on. They're all angry too. What are you saying? This is unbelievable. And then security is called. Cool. These big guys come on right now, you know. And you think, well, I guess it's good telly. But, you know, that's what's going on. What's happened there? They were furious that the truth came out. They did not like the truth. Suddenly, the, the lid had been ripped off the lie. This is what Jesus has just done in Nazareth. Not that it's the X Factor, but you know what I mean. He has just exposed their complete and utter chronic lack of belief. And they are very, very angry about that. You're saying there's something wrong with us. <clears throat> now, the other thing that they clearly want... I'm really exhausted after telling that story. <laughs> A little bottle of oxygen there would be appreciated. <gasps> yeah, still. Uh, it, it's, you know, it is... No, no, it's getting to that point. I might sit down one... Oh, dear. Yeah, there we go. Now, the thing that they obviously want here when Jesus says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, what we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. What they want is miracles. They want him to perform. Because there will be sick people in their hometown, just as there have been sick people in Capernaum. And what they're saying is, Hey, kid, you grew up here. You owe us. Do your miracles. Do your stuff. Come on. Perform. In fact, you should be doing more for us because we help raise you than you are doing over there. And uh, Jesus is very clearly saying to them, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. And he said, You're, it, nothing's going to happen, basically, because of your chronic unbelief. And then he starts to talk to them about Elijah and Elisha and the people. And he compares the people of that period to the people of Nazareth. That is really, really uncomplimentary. Because if you remember, what was going on at the time of Elijah with the people? They were all Baal worshippers. And uh, at one point, Elijah cries out to God and said, God, I'm the only believer in the Lord left. That was his perception of Israel. He was wrong, actually, but nevertheless, that was his perception. They're all unbelievers, chronic unbelievers. And Jesus is just saying, hey, guys, you remind me of them. Hey nice to see you all nice to be home Wow Yeah no I mean it's really what Jesus is saying is because of unbelief God bypassed Israel in that day and went to uh, to Gentiles he went to Naaman a Syrian an enemy of Israel but he went to him and he went to this woman in Sidon He went to people who had faith And Jesus is saying to to Nazareth, actually, there's not going to be any miracles among you. I'm going to go where there will be faith. Because there's no faith here. Uh, This is what it says in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus went to his hometown. It says, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. (laughs) There are a couple of times when Jesus is amazed by faith or lack of faith. He's amazed, isn't he, at the centurion. Do you remember that? He says, wow, this man's got more faith than anyone in Israel. But there are other times when you can amaze God by your lack of faith. And God will say, look at that. When Jesus goes home to Nazareth, he was amazed by their lack of faith. And look at that statement. It's, this is what it's saying. God was unable to do miracles because of their lack of faith. This is God Almighty. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who can do anything. Goes, goes to Nazareth and says, I can't do anything here. Hello? Yeah. Uh, that's an extraordinary comment. That's an extraordinary comment about the power of faith or doubt. A strong lack of faith will crush the supernatural. So, there we go. So, their chronic unbelief then has been completely exposed. They think they're great, and actually Jesus has, in his grace, ripped the lid off the truth and shown them the ugly truth. And they are furious, and they hate it, and they want him dead. Let's ask a few questions at this point, shall we? Did you realize that your unbelief can stop God doing what he wants to do in and through you? Did you realize that? Let me phrase this differently then. Are there areas of unbelief in your life? Areas where you are actually rejecting God? Do you remember we looked at um, Zechariah? Remember? In chapter 1. And we saw there was a godly man, but he had no faith. Do you remember that? We saw the the oddness of his shape. And uh, I just want to ask you, are there areas where you said, nope, I'm not going to believe God for healing? That is too painful, too difficult. Have you said that in your heart? Maybe it's revival. You said, no, nope, I can't believe God for that. Everything else is fine, but not that. What's the area? Maybe you've said, well, I'm sort of agnostic in that area. I, I, you know. If he wants to, that's fine. But, you know, I'm not sure he will, really. No, no. No, God is looking for a yes. The other question I just wanted to ask, really, from reading through this passage was, who's growing up among us? Who's growing up among us? Who is currently five or six or seven or eight, nine? How are we treating them? What are our kids seeing and understanding and believing and perceiving in the spirit and we're just saying, oh, don't worry about that. Do your homework. That's what will get you ahead. But don't worry about these dreams you keep having. What's that? Are we developing and encouraging our kids or dismissing them? Just some thoughts, eh? Interesting as well from this passage of scripture that uh, some of the places that Jesus goes to, they're desperate for him to get out. Have you seen that? I mean, obviously, Nazareth is the obvious example. They're very angry with him. Get out. But actually, do you remember when he goes to the land of the Gadarenes? And there's this demonized guy running around. And Jesus delivers this man powerfully and sends the demons into the pigs. Do you remember that? Passion scripture. all the pigs go absolutely berserk and then they run off the end of the cliff and they all die the demonized guy is so grateful thank you Jesus for what you've done the rest of the town though come to him and say Jesus please will you go yes. yeah. what's happened there they are terrified by the reality of God suddenly the reality of the spiritual has been laid bare in front of them and they are saying oh, we can't deal with that Get it. will you go please Yet there are other places that Jesus goes to, and they love him when he goes to the Samaritans. Do you remember that? He goes to the Samaritans, and they say, please, will you stay with us? And he has to say, no, no, I've got to go to all the other villages. There are times when people, Hope Church, will hate us. If we preach the gospel correctly, they will hate us. Other times, other people will love us. Wow, what does it mean you got healed? That's incredible. Talk to me. What we are not trying to achieve is to be liked by everybody. That is not our goal. That is not our goal. If we walk with Jesus properly, we should expect there will be some people who will be very angry and frightened of us. And other people who will say, you're amazing. Wow. You see, if we want to be liked by everyone, we'll never preach the gospel because it'll be too risky. The outcome will be too expensive, potentially. And actually, I also want to just throw this in at this point. Who here has ever shared the gospel with somebody and they've suddenly got really angry with you? Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah. They said, oh, so you you Christians, they'll say, you Christians, you're really arrogant. You just think you've got all the answers. You ever heard that? You Christians, you just think you're better than the rest of us. Like that's been told. Has anyone heard that? Yeah, you just think this. And you go away after a conversation like that and you think, oh, I totally blew that. Well, if you're anything like me, you do. Oh, I totally blew that. I don't know. They're just really upset now by what I've said. And oh, dear. After the reading this, I realize that's right. Yeah. That is right. Sometimes you will share the gospel with somebody and they will be angry with you. You have not failed. Yeah. Right. You have not failed. You've shared the gospel with them, and they have reacted. Okay, let them react. They reacted to Jesus like that. If they reacted to him, how do you think they're going to react to you? It's the same. Now, there will be other people that love you as well, okay? So. So that's not our goal. It's not our goal. And then just these last three words then. Wow, this is really sad, isn't it? Jesus goes back to his hometown. And then the last three words are, "He went away." He had to. They effectively pushed him out, but he went away. Um, yeah, let me hang on. Let me sorry. Let me just back up. But passing through their midst, he went away. So, in other words, Jesus was protected. Sorry. Let me just come to this point first. Uh, just should be noticed. Jesus was able to pass through this mob. That wanted to murder him. We should see that God protects us. And uh, good to ponder actually in some of the psalms. Psalm 121. Who can think of another psalm about protection? Psalm 91? Psalm 23? Yeah, they're all good, good psalms. And there are more than that. They all talk about the protection of God. Now, it does not mean, of course, that you won't suffer and struggle. And have pain at times. If that's your understanding of protection, then I think you'll be disappointed. But ultimately, we have a God who says, no, I am sovereign over you. And that's what we see, I think, at Jesus at this time. They want to kill him, but it is not Jesus' time. Therefore, somehow, God just says, okay, you can pass through that. You can just get through what looks like an impossible thing to get through. We have a God that protects us. We do. We do we do he is into protecting you <clears throat> and then lastly then come now to this point of the, the last three words he went away that's a real tragedy isn't it this is the town that should have supported jesus most this was his hometown his family was there Brothers and sisters lived there. They all knew him. Instead of being offended by Jesus, they should have absolutely been honored by Jesus. This is the place Jesus uh, uh, first announces his mission. This is my mission and this is who I am. I am the Messiah. He announces it first to Nazareth and they're just offended. That's a great honor they've been given. God has honored that town. And this is the mission statement. just want to read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is, church, our job today. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit Do you pray every day, Holy Spirit, come and fill me again? Do you pray that? Can I urge you to pray that? It's something I do regularly. Because without the the anointing of the Holy Spirit, none of the things that Jesus asks us to do are possible. Because it's the Spirit of God that is required. So we need to be filled and filled again. And then we have good news to proclaim, don't we, church? We have good news to be speaking. It's great that we went out in the streets yesterday just to try and give away something uh, of the truth of the good news. But there is good news to the poor that has to be proclaimed. And there is freedom for prisoners. There is freedom for prisoners. Um, there are many people out there who are imprisoned by sin or habits or addictions or spiritual forces, actually, that he is longing to set free. Church, it's our job. We need to be on it to be saying, yeah, we're going to press into this. And, it, you know, if you, you might say, well, I've never seen that. Well, okay, let's get on our knees and let's just say, God, how do we do this mission that you have given to us? How do we press into it? How do we get hold of it freshly? I just want to encourage you, don't let unbelief hinder you in the mission. Don't let unbelief, because it will hinder you. Uh, allow yourself to come through this. The West is full of unbelief. That's why traditionally I think over the years we haven't seen much of the supernatural. Because we've been full of cynical unbelief. But God is saying, come on church, time to rise above that now. Time to keep your eyes on me and to see the mission and to see it fulfilled in your day. I want to be part of a church that fulfills the mission of Jesus, don't you? Oh, man, I want that. I want to see people set free. You know, this is going to sound really strange. I want to see demonized people being set free. That's what happened in Jesus' day. Therefore, we're following him. That's what I want to see among us. I want to see that. I want to see more people being healed. Wonderful, the stories we've had recently. Great, Gabriella's voice being restored. Julian's back and other stories we've had. I just want to say as well, if you are not a believer, uh, let me urge you: change your mind. (laughs) Just change your mind. Become a believer today. It is your choice. You you absolutely can make the choice and say yes, I believe, or no, I don't. Which are you? Are you in or are you out? Are you in the believing pile or the unbelieving pile? I just, I just, I don't know how to do this other than say, please change your mind. There really is a God out there who loves you and wants to be known by you. And if you're saying, well, I I don't know, I've never seen that. Can I challenge you then with this? Go home, close the door, be on your own, and just talk to God and say, God, if you are real, can you show yourself to me in some way? I've known people who have done that and they have been amazed at what has happened. Perhaps not instantly, but over the next few days, suddenly people start to talk to them. I challenge you. There is a God out there who wants to find you and loves you. Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray together? So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come freshly on us even this morning. Father, I thank you that uh, you love people and that sometimes you rip the lid off uh, reality, even though we don't want it sometimes. Father, I thank you for that. I ask you that you would do that more and more in our lives, Lord, where that's necessary, where that's kind, Father, where that's needed in order to help us move forward. I pray, Father, for that to happen. And Holy Spirit, we ask you for the anointing, your mighty anointing to fall on us as a church. Lord, that we will proclaim the good news, that we will see prisoners set free. Father, that we will see those who are sick being healed, those who have no sight, uh, the sight being restored to them spiritually and physically. Father, we present ourselves freshly to us. I pray for the fresh challenge of God to be on us, even over these next few days. Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to us again uh, as we sleep, maybe in dreams or visions or in what, uh, other ways, or perhaps in other people who will come and chat to us. Holy Spirit, come and freshly challenge us, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.